0: Hello there and welcome to part two of our music podcast discussing the music and the stories around that from 1967 with our guest Jonathan Lilly. The full podcast including all songs chosen by Jonathan can be heard on Spotify, search over our garden wall. However, if you can't access Spotify, this is a copy of all the chat from the podcast. You can of course listen to Jonathan's songs on Apple Music too, just not in this podcast. Apologies for this and hopefully one day we can publish in full on Apple as we do on Spotify. Enjoy the chat and
1: stay safe. I just can't get out of my head the whole uh, Ruttles thing, you know, so Ron, Ron, some people say you've not been back recently. That's just the sort of thing that some people would say. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, why don't you ask me? Where have you been? I'm not telling you. <laughs> Do you know how the Rutles started? No. I remember. Neil Innes went on Saturday Night Live and he made up this character, This Ron is Nass- the rut- the, when the Ruttle started, right? And this is how the Rutles, the first Ruttle thing was, basically, Ron Nasty went on, with the, the white, big white grand piano on Saturday Night Live and apparently he was like making up it was a song to get him enough money to stop England sinking right. that was the whole joke <laughs> and it just spiraled from there into this whole All You Need Is Cash documentary which ironically this was before there was a Beatles documentary I'm going to say complete Beatles but the, the, the one everybody had on video in the, the 80s Right. and it, it mirrors All You Need Is Cash but All You Need Is Cash was made before it it was yeah, yeah. there
0: so. you go Leggy like went so, batting. <laughs> so that wasn't the Ruttles, that was the Beatles um, with uh, In Without You. It's a fantastic song. Uh, really glad you played that, Jonathan, to be honest. Cracking. So we did um, We did the critics list before um, the song and um, there were some big hitters in there that had sort of big chart singles and stuff, <coughs> but the top ten that I gave you there didn't have the biggest selling single of that year. Do you want to have a guess what the biggest selling single of 67 was? It wasn't all you need is
2: love. I would have thought that it wasn't.
0: No, please release me. Please release me, or something like that. It was. Please release me by Engelbert Humperdinck. And the only reason for well, not the only reason. It's a great song, right? But uh, the reason for sharing it with you was that it's connected a little bit to something you mentioned earlier on with Jimi Hendrix. So I think you mentioned playing the Monterey and stuff like that. Um, So it's part one of the the kind of events that happened that year, March thirty first. They they kicked off a tour. On the tour was the Walker Brothers, Cat Stevens, and Engelbert Humperdinck um, at the Astoria London, and uh, playing with them was Jimi Hendrix. Nice. So that was the that was the gig, and he set fire to his guitar on the stage for the first time. Uh, he was taken to hospital, suffering burns to his hands. The guitar burning act would later become a trademark of Hendrix's performances.
1: Bruce Finley the. Um... Legendary Scottish manager that yeah. apart from civil had like a chain of record shops and stuff like that told me once that um he went to see Jimi Hendrix play at the Albert Hall in London and he says the Beatles were there and he was going yes the Beatles whatever and he went on stage and this was I think I think uh, the albums came out in a different day back then but he said he they Jimmy walked out on stage and did Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band yeah and the Beatles were watching it thinking Oh much you know
0: yeah. Fantastic. That would have
1: been a pivotal
0: moment in your, your life. It would indeed. It's better than burning your hands, isn't it? Yes. And, uh, and, and talking of commercial acclaim, Jonathan, I, I say to you, I know you, you like your films, so I, I dug out the top 10 highest grossing films from 67, so I'm I'm, I'm going to check your uh, your memory here. So do you want to pop a couple of these? 67, what would, uh, would be in the top 10? Co-
2: well, I, I don't know about what was popular or what sort of got most box office, but it was a huge, huge year for um, slightly starting to get into some alternative American films like The Graduate and the uh, Bonnie and Clyde, yeah. you know, were big movies then. But more so in Europe, like French cinema that year was phenomenal. So, um, you know, you had things like Le Samurai with Alan Delon. You had Belle de Jour, um, Jacques Tati's Playtime, I think. Goddard had about three movies out, including Weekend and Two or Three Things I Know About Her. Um, All those big-hitting French guys, you know. uh, Romer had his films out. Mouchette by Bresson, I mean, phenomenal. Jacques Demy, The Girls of Rochefort, just, you know, still phenomenal original incredible films so yeah. i don't really care about what was kind of number one or two when you have that lot oh and things like um in japan Seijun suzuki's branded to kill have you ever seen that
0: i haven't saw that no no oh that's a seen.
2: turning point in anyone's life <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah well a few surprisingly a few were on there not the french ones but yeah you your graduate and um, bonnie and clyde was on there um yeah the bond film fight a couple of Bond films to be fair um the jungle book was on there? Oh,
2: in the heat of the night was in that year, wasn't it?
0: Um, um, so I got a question for you. So no, it wasn't. It wasn't in the highest grossing. But um, uh, the following year for the Oscars, the best films, um, you had. Uh, I won't tell you who you had actually. So which one best film then? For sixty-seven at year? the Oscars, yeah.
2: Oh, is it going to be something daft? Um, oh, I don't know. Put me out of my misery.
0: That was in the heat of the night. All right, was that in the heat of the night? It was, yeah, shortlist in the heat of the night, Bonnie and Clyde, Dr. Doolittle, The Graduate, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yeah, producers,
2: I think, was 67
0: as well, another good amount of news. Yeah, it's great film, yeah, it's not, not on the list anywhere, but um, I suppose it just it shows you how much was happening at that time, you know, it was, well, you know better than we will, but film was, was big, wasn't it? There was just big stuff going on everywhere, and... Uh, and we talk about that kind of iconic American films and Heat of the Night is definitely one of those. Your next artist is an iconic American artist, for sure, Nina Simone. So mm. tell us why you've chosen I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel To Be Free.
2: Um, well, I, I guess there's a film kind of connection to that, yeah. you know. I still call it Film 89, <laughs> even though it's like every year. But to me, it was obviously Barry Norman's show on, on BBC. It yeah. was the, uh, I think it was a live version of the original by Billy Taylor. Um, I've got the ori- the first pressing of Billy Taylor's wow. first version of it, which yeah. has got a beautiful cover and I'm going to nick it. I'm going to do my own album, <laughs> going to nick Billy Taylor's cover Good for on. that. But, uh, yeah, it's all, it's not really, the first time I heard Nina Simone doing it, was a a very specific morning when i was still living in northern ireland and i was getting a lift to work in belfast and the person driving always used to have you know the 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 radio just audible and no more it drove me crazy i wanted to really turn up but it was morning and i guess he, he didn't like it too loud and he never really spoke right he was very quiet So I had to sit in this car with hardly any music on, really quiet, the whole journey on my work, uh, sort of trip in the morning. And suddenly I could hear just this faint little piano starting, all right, one morning. And I'm looking, it was a miserable, wet morning, we're driving through Belfast. And I just hear the opening chords to this. And I remember by the time it was halfway through the song, I think I was having to look out the left window because I was almost in tears. You know, it just moved me incredibly. Um, Because obviously, you know, the original is quite a big bandy kind of version, instrumental. Um, But putting on those sort of civil rights kind of sort of vibes on top of of those words um, is, yeah, quite a heady mix.
0: And this was when she, she kind of found her feet, I guess, with the whole civil rights thing. I think she did um, Backlash Blues as well, I think, around 67. Yeah, that
2: was, that was the same year. Yeah. yeah. Became and she became very militant. She, yeah. Became,
0: yeah, she became quite a sort of big um, character, didn't she, in lots of ways. Um, from... Oh,
2: yeah, she was ready to put a gun to most white people's heads, I think. <laughs> you know, it's was very, very militant. Um, yeah. well, she's, I remember a line that I read in a conversation with her, um, and I remember she was, I don't know, the context was something like, People saying to her, Nina, come on, be less militant. We're not going to win the army. You know, they've learned their lesson enough, the the nice little white folks. You know, (laughs) we don't need to, you know, surely we've done enough. And she said um, something along the lines of when love is no longer being served at the table, how long are you going to sit there for?
0: Yeah. You know, and I thought,
2: Yeah. yeah, that just blows me away. Yeah. How long are we willing to sit and put up with something that isn't giving us what we need? And we do. We just keep sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. And you could argue that, you know, people are still sitting there in terms of civil rights and not getting up to leave and looking for an alternative. And maybe maybe with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's the first time that really since the 60s, people are trying to, on a global level, achieve that. That should have been, you know, last century or beyond, of course.
0: It's especially brave, I guess, when you, you're aware of her own personal circumstances. She obviously didn't have the most supportive... Um, husband, yeah, uh, who's very controlling, and uh, you know, uh, with with her music and her own life. Never mind getting into sort of civil rights and stuff. So although he liked to do all the the, um, the the sort of glorifying of it, and he loved pressing the flesh and stuff, he didn't really like being directly involved. And I think the more he said no, the more she did, and that's where they ended up. You know, sort of um, splicing, and uh, she became her own person, didn't she? And her life took a turn for the difference, I guess. Um, and she, yeah. Never, yeah.
2: And maybe for a lot of these sort of artists that we're looking at you know the greats you know how many of them have had that tension that that friction in their personal lives Mm. you know maybe most of them uh maybe it's what drives people maybe you know to be able to be on a stage and to do these kinds of songs takes some of that kind of life Mm. i don't know it's i'm not saying one needs to have that life but I think these are the kind of people that clearly wanted to make it count for something, the fact that they yeah. had.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think she got, no for this song, I think she got a Grammy nomination for uh, Go To Hell, which I think's on the on the album as well. So, I mean, she was getting recognition um, and she had been sort of getting recognition for a while, but again, she never quite... She, uh, interestingly, actually, she didn't She didn't win the Grammy because Aretha, Aretha Franklin won the Grammy for um, Chain of Fools. So, um, so she was in there kind of punching, but... She was still a bit niche, wasn't she? It was always that bit about she's a bit kind of a bit jazzy, wasn't she? As well as having oh, yeah. the kind of soul angle yeah. and stuff, and there was nobody really like her. Uh, I watched the um, what's the documentary called? It's on Netflix, Whatever no, Happened no, to Miss yeah, Apple, one, is Apple, it? Yeah, to I used some of the story, but um, I, I didn't quite get it all. Certainly, I didn't get the whole bit about her moving to Africa and you know, sort of basically just down in tools, and uh, she ended up. You know, sort of living on their own, didn't she, and doing their own sort of one-off gigs and stuff in Switzerland and Holland and what have you. Um, sort of fascinating story, <laughs> you know. And uh, you just wonder, as you say, Jonathan, kind of where all that came from. If you think about how they how they managed to come through all those things and and do all that, and it's got to come out somewhere, hasn't it? And for people like that, I guess it comes out in the music. Yeah, yeah.
2: Know? Thank Which, goodness um, it
0: does. It does indeed for it's, me, anyway. <laughs> it's absolutely, and you know, big legacy. I would have thought she's left quite. Nobody like her really, was up.
2: Well, I think she's one of those voices. Uh, just her voice alone, let alone her, you know, piano playing or anything else. But her voice alone is like one that can do no wrong for mm-hmm. me. You know, it, whatever kind of style or genre she's singing, it's it moves me every time. Yeah. Um, but as a person, she scares the living daylights out. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she terrifies
0: me <laughs> yeah i did pick that up from the documentary as well to be fair <laughs> i think her husband was uh equally scared of her i think um but uh yeah and she was big in the, the summer of soul film that came out yeah yeah. Yeah, she, yeah. she's got a real presence in that as well hasn't she so mm. um no she's um she's um some kid for sure okay then so let's get this one on um from the album self-control this is nina simone myth i wish i knew how it'd feel to be free so that was uh, Nina Simone. So from one very important artist to another, Bob Dylan. So uh, Jonathan, he'd been low key for a while, hadn't he? After he had a he had a bike accident, I think the year before. Is that right?
2: Yeah, the the sort of uh, mythical bike accident. Did it happen or did it not? I mean, I think it probably did, but they used it as a as a get out because he was clearly well past the point of burnout.
0: Yeah. You know, having
2: done three incredible albums back-to-back, amphetamine-driven tours, and, yeah, all around the world being booed at. And then, you know, you can see by the end of that that he's he's a shell of a man mm. and needed to do something different. And, uh, yeah, whether he sustained injuries or not. Um,
0: so you think it probably like happened, but they, they maybe embellished it as a reason for, for sort of stepping yeah. him down? Yeah. yeah
2: sure he was on it well the fact that he was recording the the basement tapes and writing and recording this album john wesley harding you know he was busy he was getting on with it yeah. but he clearly needed and he had a family mm. as well you know young family four kids or something like that at the time so i'm sure he just needed an excuse to you know step off the bus for a while and uh regroup mm. for himself yeah. yeah
0: and you picked him um, all along the watchtower so why did you pick on this one
2: didn't want to <laughs> but again you know if we're talking about you know the years that matter it's a song that still gets covered and you know the covers become iconic in themselves of yeah. this song
0: yeah
2: and uh, he ends most of his you know often he ends his concerts with it so he's he clearly deems it something
0: um and he kind of he almost rocks it out a bit doesn't he? he's more like yeah Hendrix yeah. Version and...
2: Hendrix yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely but but i think uh I, I've included it again as evidence of what the scene was like yeah. and, and Dylan sort of being a contrary kind of guy, I think, you know, um, willing to sort of go in a complete opposite direction from what the, the rest of the music scene is doing mm-hmm. and uh, gone biblical, you know, rather than getting bigger and bigger, you know, you look at the Beatles and Pepper and getting bigger and bigger and more orchestral and more grandiose. And he just goes, I'm going to go right down to like a three-piece, mm.
0: you know? And, kind of, and it kind of happened, or certainly the story is it, kind of happened almost overnight. So he'd been doing all those basement tapes and stuff, um, and then he pretty much disappeared to Nashville and came back with a record. Yeah. Uh, recorded yeah. quickly, totally different sound from some of the stuff that you have subsequently heard, I guess, on the basement tapes. Mm. Um, I, I read somebody thought it was maybe connected to, so Woody Guthrie passed away at this time, didn't he? um he was just before this maybe a couple months was Uh, it yeah i think so 67. all right yeah because
2: the guthrie sort of concert memorial concert was a few years later
0: all right okay was it could be wrong mate i've been wrong with many things but um i did read that that there was a kind of there was a a, you see a rebasing of him and that was sort of partly partly reason for that but uh i know surprised the guys when they brought it back and says you know kind of recorded their stuff and they said let's hear it then and as you say it was Almost like going back um, four or five albums, maybe mm. for him, mm. um, which is which is great, isn't it? But it was it was surprising, you
2: know? Yeah, and he returns to what I guess we could guess is his normal singing voice. Yeah, you know, it became very affected by the time of Blonde on Blonde, especially, and uh, and then when he goes country with Nashville Skyline onwards, uh, to, throughout to New Morning, it can go a little bit, mm. you know, that <laughs> kind of way of singing. <laughs> and uh so yeah it's it's in a period where he's there's something again getting back to something maybe more meaningful for himself yeah um not that the other things aren't meaningful to him but you know just something that seems digging deeper uh than just like a a faddy kind of i don't know um fashion thing almost Mm. it's anti-fashion what he's doing here and uh the songs all stand up Mm. Um, the what I really wished uh, to pick was um, "I dreamed I saw St Augustine" or even "I pity the poor immigrant," because the, the melodies of those songs, uh, I, again, just just make me want to cry. And you could say they're very folk based references and folk music, be it British folk kind of uh, melodies. Even, um, but he makes it his own. Mm. He, he creates. You could argue he's creating Americana here mm. with this album, I think, you know, mm. um, obviously the band are just kind of in the, the next room, almost, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. But uh, yeah, the, he's he's going totally against the grain with this. And uh, I love the stripped back feel of it. Um, I long to do an album like this. I'm, I'm keen to do something like this very soon myself to just, as be, be as almost naked as possible, and I know I, I, on my own albums I sort of do a little bit of that and solo things, but to sort of sustain that across a record. Another thing is, we're we calling I'm calling it stripped down, but it's as funky as hell. You yeah. know that, that the bass and drums on this, yeah. that that yeah. album are incredible. You know, mm-hmm. obviously top notch Nashville players, and they're they're really driving the songs. Mm-hmm. Um So they don't sound light or backgroundy or soft. You know, they're they're really mm-hmm
0: there's a bit of the yeah. I know the voice is different but there's a bit of the kind of the early Elvis in him with the, the sound you know that, that when he started that that the three of them knocking it out yeah. um, before you know the kind of the organisation coming in and the, and the Scotty Moore electric guitar and all that stuff but yeah. that, that kind of you know early what would you call that I'd call it skiffle for want of a better word you know um, and it it, it it's kind of just seems to be doing what it wants to do doesn't it and um, it sounds great I mean it's always been one of my favourite Dylan records and not really too sure why because probably i think there's better songs on on other records but i think there's just a kind of sound to it that he sounds really comfortable and kind of yeah, happy doing a, it yeah
2: it's a really beautifully recorded album yeah.
0: i think and he asked for no publicity and stuff it's interesting you said that there was a quote said um i asked columbia to release it with no publicity and no hype because this was the season of hype hmm So it was a kind of anti-record, yeah.
2: And that, and even the cover—you know—the photograph was like people that weren't even in the band, just some touring visiting band that he saw. and you be in the photo, kind of thing. Yeah, Uh, that—that's fantastic. And and I read somewhere not that long ago, and I've never seen it, but apparently, (laughs) you know. Legend has it that the faces of the Beatles are somehow hidden in the tree. Have you ever heard that? I've heard
0: that? it, yeah, and I've I've had a look, and I'm not too sure about that. But uh, yeah, it's an it's an interesting side note, isn't it? You know, he's never he, I don't think he's ever commented on it to the best of my knowledge. The guy, um, the album cover photographer, John Berg, uh, at one point acknowledged their presence, but was reluctant to talk about it. But he then backtracked a bit on it later on. So it's a wee bit. Somebody also says that the hand of Jesus. Is there? Which I guess you can see anything you want, can't you? Uh...
2: Left hander, right <laughs> oh, <look> For here,
0: because <laughs> uh, I think you had to turn it upside down or something, don't you? To to check it. That's that's the, the secret. You look at it straight uh-huh. on. You you, fl- you flip it. I think, and it gives you the image. Apparently, so that'll be one for the the post podcast check we'll be doing. Um, and another thing just to mention on Dylan, of course, was it was only a couple of years earlier that he'd done the whole Don't Look Back documentary, you know, when yeah. that was his kind of first big trip to, to you know.
2: And I think was 67, not the year that actually finally came out. It
0: was, that's right, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: So for yeah. people to actually get that glimpse of Dylan yeah. and then suddenly hear the album that he releases the same year, it's, yeah. it's quite a contrast, yeah. Because he's
0: a bit of a, for me, he's almost a punk in that film. You know, he's... Yeah. And I mean that in a nice way, you know, he just he literally doesn't care about anything. You know, he's, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and then he, he he does this, and then as you say, then moves on to, to, to do other stuff, and a bit like you mentioned earlier on with um, some of the other bands, it's that, just that's so impressive that they never stop finding ways to be good and different, it's just, I don't know how they do it, you know, it's uh, it's fantastic. And, um, and, you know, a bit of a kind of, with the benefit of hindsight, is this a bit of a warm-up for the whole... Pat Garrett, Billy the Kid soundtrack? Do you think someone was listening at the time?
2: <laughs> um, what, specifically this song you mean? Or yeah, I, I suppose up? the
0: record maybe, you know, because obviously it's, you know, it's got kind of a loose connection, hasn't it, to an old um, kind of um, Wild West thing and, uh, and it's got that sound to it as well, hasn't it? You know, it's, you could, can imagine some of them being on a... Uh,
2: yeah, soundtrack. I think it's a, for my ears, it's a John Wesley Harding's a tighter sound. they, right. they feel more compressed and together, whereas uh it feels a lot more loose and spread out and yeah, you know, these, these are these are very tight punchy songs i think on uh, even the soft quiet ones that they're very contained mm. and controlled whereas there's a real looseness and uh you know with uh pat garrett yeah which we- is one of my favorite albums it is you know I, I do love that
0: yeah and if i had to ask you the question about favorite dylan album how would you do how would you deal with that new morning okay
2: no hesitation that was easy <laughs> Yeah, I love New Morning. Perfect.
0: Yeah. Okay, then. So from the album, John Wesley Harding, reached number two in the US, number one in the UK, and released in December 67, this is All Along the Watchtower by Bob Dylan. So that that was Bob Dylan with All Along the Watchtower, and Jonathan's just telling us about um, one of his favourite hobbies that um, his family enjoyed doing with him um, at great length, which is recreating uh, films and album covers and various things, so... Um, so, we've just been doing Highway 61 Revisited, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I've yet
2: to find the tree with the Beatles' faces in it to stand in front of to, to create that
0: one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that might be a bit more difficult. Yeah. yeah. So, listen, uh, Jonathan, you chose 15 songs for the 67 playlist, and we'll be playing eight of them or possibly nine. But before we play our next and last one, be good to look at the other ones and get some kind of one liners from you as to okay. why you, you stuck these ones on as well. So, I'll just rattle down them in the order you've got them. So number nine was "Break On Through" by the Doors.
2: Yeah, uh, another one that discovered uh, very early on when I was young, getting into music, and just from that opening bars of that record, the sound of uh, John Densmore's drums. Mm. Um, I thought, I think they're all virtuosos in that band, mm. uh, but you know, kind of jazz drumming to sort of blues flamenco guitar to mm. um, baroque kind of harpsichordy <laughs> piano style playing, you know, there was nobody like them. There, anytime you hear a door song coming on the radio, amongst other songs, it stands out. There's nothing else. And I can take them sometimes only in small doses. Yeah. Um but musically and the feel, oh my God, that that the opening of that album. And again it, it could be like a stack song, you know, like it could be the Booker T and the MG's playing that, you know, bum bum bam bam You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, i agree with all that. It's a fantastic record, and and it and, announces
2: the doors. It's the song that announces. The doors. That. It's going to say that the that's the
0: first song, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, on the album. yeah, yeah. first song, first album. That's um, yeah, it's, it's some jumping off point. And do you think that they're a band? I mean, obviously, they die very young. So, are they a band that sort of benefited if you want from from not keeping going? You know, only having the sort of three or four records. Do you think that um, kind of stories better for that, or do you think they would have just kept knocking it out? Or?
2: I don't know. It's, I mean, maybe when you look at every single band that still goes any, you know, maybe we still cling to the the albums of their youth, yeah. you know, they made early on. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, difficult question to answer. Maybe. Oh, I don't know.
0: OK. Guess <laughs> That's a, guess
2: <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: exactly. I'm asking you to guess. Uh, OK. Uh, number 10 was Alone Again Or by Love.
2: Uh, and I think a song that really stands out uh, amongst theirs, I'm not a Love fan, I've got to say. I prefer um, a couple of songs from other records of theirs, but yeah. as much as... And they're a band I keep coming back to, to try and like, mm. right? I, I know I should be liking them. Me too. But there's something that I can't quite just Maybe. connect with that doesn't work for me, no, but no, this song I'm, does. I'm,
1: I'm an Arthur Lee guy. You are, right. Yeah, I saw him, I saw him in 1991 or 92, but he had Shaq as his backing band, and I thought he was great. And then he came back and did the Forever Changes thing, and I saw him again. And I really enjoyed him. I mean, an absolute head case in real life. Mm. You know, apparently Shaq came out to do to support him, and they had their you know, Everton or the Liverpool hats, I don't know what it was, and they were all kind of like as if they were a bit drunk, and they came out to as his backing band, and they were like focused on their instruments. I found out later on, apparently, he pulled a knife on them just before they went <laughs> on stage. He said, If any of <laughs> you motherfuckers mess this up, we just, I'm going to kill you, right? Uh, and, you know, th- there's loads of stories attached to that. You know, he got out at a service station eh, just after he'd arrived in London and he's like, Liverpool, the home of the Beatles, and all this and like that. This is just a service station after, but you know, like, he, he really was out there, you know. <clears throat> That's the name of one of the albums out there as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I yeah. Should- I can recognise that there is something there, but it just just, just doesn't move me enough. Yeah. But alone again, or does you know, yeah. a, a unique track, a very unique track, yeah. and beautiful, beautiful.
0: I I I agree with everything you just said there. I, I I really can't get love at all. Um, I absolutely think this song's amazing. This reminds me a little bit of Buffalo Springfield. So that's got that you know that I don't know again, don't really know how to explain my music, but it's just got that feel to it that the some of the stuff for me they did was quite unique mm. in the sound that it had, and this has got that uniqueness to it. This just doesn't sound like, like anything else really, including the rest of the album, I might add. Yeah. Um but it is just a fantastic song.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of Buffalo Springfield. It's yeah, huge. I
0: know, yeah, you said that, yeah. Yeah.
2: Something about their sound instantly yeah. makes sense to me, uh, the way love doesn't.
0: Nope. Yeah, that's why we'll leave Athelie to ponder on that. Yes. Uh, number 11 was The First Cut is the Deepest by P. P. Arnold.
2: Yeah, a well, uh, Cat Stevens song. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, nobody talks enough about Cat Stevens.
0: Oh, well, go on then. Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> he, he had a run of a few albums there that uh, have some glorious things on them, you know, yeah. and uh, incredible voice. You know a voice that was really acrobatic in its own way you know he could really get right down into his boots and and beautiful beautiful songs beautiful player and uh yeah this this is you know still being sung today first yeah. Cut of the
0: deepest. yeah and this version um particularly yeah. Like it? yeah yeah it's fantastic i love
2: this i love this yeah, love this. yeah. She, she,
0: did she buy the song or something from him i'm not sure she bought the rights to it or something like that she didn't tell me that, but I believe you. <laughs> I could have totally misread. I'm sure I read somewhere that she she bought it. She,
2: she Hang was... on. All right, Amanda's picked that up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I could, could, have been, up could have been PP Arnold. Uh, yeah. Did I read somewhere that she was an Iket? You talked about yeah. the the review, didn't you? Earlier on, I'm sure she was an Iket. PP Arnold. So uh, was Doris Troy as well. All right.
1: Thank
0: you. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, she's some voice And then she ended up Doing a whole bunch of stuff Like backing vocals For loads of people and Sort of going down Down the line You know she um, uh, Bee Gees And uh I've got songs here. She She sang the KLF um, What Time Is Love She did a
1: song She did a cover you version know? Of Understanding For There was a Small Faces tribute album That's right for, yeah She
0: did.
1: Her, her PP in the Primes That's a great, version. Yeah. great version She
0: also sang backing vocals With Roger Waters On tour Yeah In right. Jonathan So It was probably yeah. One of the ones you were at That
2: yeah. But uh, first cut is the deepest, you know. It's an example again. Beautiful intro, beautifully constructed song, climbs, and then just that hook. You know, mm-hmm. I love a hook, and just that percussive little jump of baby, yeah. I know. You know, ah, yeah. perfect.
0: That is, perfect. That is perfect. You're, yeah, uh, genuinely, that's perfect. And uh, where does the Rod Stewart version sit with that?
2: I don't mind it. Yeah. I don't mind it. Yeah, I, I like. I think Rod again is another example of someone that did four, five, six solo albums back to back, you know, and then including the faces with that mm-hmm. as well, you know, uh, absolutely extraordinary self-produced albums with uh, phenomenal songs on them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, um, he, he obviously, I, I tell you a funny thing about Rod Stewart. I went to see him in Glasgow years ago uh, in the concert hall and uh, everyone was saying, oh, you know, he better not pull that big band stuff out, you know, all that American songbook stuff. No, The audience won't fall for that here, you know. And he did the first half and second half thing first half was all the faces kind of stuff yeah uh, and all of that but actually too many people in the band and it was kind of smoothed out versions of that uh, just, you know just play with a three piece you know and do those songs um but when they paused for the second half curtains went back full orchestra there it was the best thing ever you know mm-hmm. it sounded amazing when he did the songbook stuff with the full orchestra because mm-hmm. that, that kind of made sense yeah you know? To play with that kind of backing with those kinds of songs and he can sing. Them. So uh yeah, I, it's interesting that he's had a sort of revived career with that whole mm-hmm. American songbook stuff that, that actually I think makes sense to a certain generation. Um, but yeah, the middle eighties kind of things, not really. Uh, but all that seventies stuff he did, yeah. yeah. I, I can't argue with that.
0: Yeah, they agree with all that. And I would I would like to see P P Arnold in them in the K L F as well, as well. Yeah. We've got get an, an image of them knocking it out there um next song was was a classic the tears of a clown by smokey Robinson and the miracles
2: yeah again this is another one alongside uh sergeant peppers the doors first album i had uh smokey robinson tape <laughs> and uh oh i'm i'm sort of getting quite emotional sort of remembering the cover of it and everything yeah. uh What a list of songs that guy! Let alone writing them. You know the number of Motown songs he's written that people don't even know are are his songs. Yeah. But also, yeah, his ability to sing and dance and he's he's a triple quadruple threat. That guy, (laughs) you know, (laughs) absolutely unbelievable songs and and this song as well, quite unique. You know, even for Motown, it's got that weird instrumentation at the start, like bassoon and whistle kind of intro. And then it just goes bah-bum, yeah. bah-bum, straight into you know proper Motown stuff. And then what I love as well, what you think is the chorus is just a bridge. And then what you think is a bridge is still another bridge or whatever. Yeah. It just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. And just before it comes in with the actual quiet chorus, the chorus goes quiet. Um, so it's all build, build, build. Yeah. And then just before the actual chorus, when he says Tears of a Clown, there's a single piano note. Yeah. You talked about single piano yeah. notes before. There's just this one, dong. You know, what an arrangement. Probably. And of course, the key ingredient to all Motown songs, tambourine. <laughs> well, that's the secret. All you need is a tambourine you've got yeah, Motown.
0: You're in.
1: No. When I said earlier on about Japan with all tomorrow's parties, the first version of Tears of a Clown I ever heard was the Beat doing uh, a couple oh, of it, And that yeah. got me. That was my first
0: introduction to
1: Motown, really, I suppose. The first. yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I certainly had more time, but you probably brought it back into my my world, yeah. When it was um, what was that, early eighties, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so your next song was "TV Sheets" by Van Morrison.
2: Yeah, another very interesting artist. I, I guess for for me, coming from Northern Ireland, same place. Um, yeah, it's it's I can't sort of overstate what a big deal that is to have an artist you know that is on that kind of world-class stage mm. that that's from a place mm. you know george, like to having george best mm. you know uh on your side <laughs> you know? it's, uh it's phenomenal that we can produce something of, of of that you know quality and uh and again an interesting sort of period obviously this comes from 67 where Really, he, he's gone with Burt Burns in the States to try and break away from them. And uh, this is his first solo record, really. And it it's obviously fronted with Brown Eyed Girl, yeah, not Van Morrison's song, but obviously synonymous with him and still yep. probably the biggest sort of played song that he's recorded. And this sort of summer of love, you mm. know, romantic, poppy, boppy feel of Brown Eyed Girl, brilliant, but yet. On the flip side of that is this song about yeah. some girl dying of tuberculosis. Like <laughs> again, pivotal turning point of 67 where yeah. songs are starting to get personal yeah. and, and less broad stroked and about themes that actually are real and personal to the people singing them. And it's a very stream of conscious kind of song, which uh, consciousness song which he went on to do in every one of them. as much as he did real punchy little hit singles, you know, like Jackie Wilson said mm-hmm. or whatever, um, or some some of the stuff off Moondance, they all contain these songs on those albums, the, you know, 9, 10, 11-minute songs, where he really just went off yeah. uh, on something a lot more personal. And, uh, yeah, it took me a long time to come around to um, I avoided him a lot, um, I think because he was from Northern Ireland and, like, the sort of... The way people just sort of celebrated the brown eyed girl sort of aspect of him. But when yeah. I came to him late, I really got it. I, I really understood it and and felt it and uh yeah, he's a staple for me.
0: Yeah. I mean you can feel bits of him in your, your sound and your music, Jonathan. Whether it's, you know, conscious or just just because it's there, but um there's definitely, you know, Gracious Losers has got a real sort of feel of some of that late sixties, early seventies stuff that he done
2: yeah interestingly i think some people think it's uh, a lot of what the losers might do is sort of reminiscent of the caledonia soul orchestra sort of era that he was in maybe that that's where i would say well yeah that makes sense to me you know strings and brass and uh, and that kind of thing but actually the main inspiration for the losers doing some of that way of playing especially live was um joe cocker and the mad dogs and englishman tour with uh, leon russell that that was more of a reference point for me. Um if there was any at all right. musically musical references, um it would be that. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not gonna shirk off a, a classic Van Morrison sound, you
0: know? No, 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 it's a great yeah. song. Um, I would heard that I say to me, I I hadn't heard the song for a long, long time, but um, but you're right it is a it's a, again, another unusual song, isn't it? It's that, that, that twist that '67 and '68 and onwards all started yeah. to give you that pop music hadn't really given you so much of before. So,
2: and also could easily be a stack song again, yeah, could be easily an MG song yeah. with that sort of groove and that riff and that real guttural kind of sort of holding the, the groove the whole way through the song, yeah. easily and a little tremolo chinky guitar. You know, so I, it's like Motown and Stacks, I guess, was the dance music of the day. So all these pop stars and rock stars, after they finish recording, probably going to a club and that's the music they're hearing. Yeah, I imagine, you know,
0: yeah.
2: so it's Absolutely. easy to see why it becomes part of their sound.
0: And you've mentioned them a couple of times uh, in the chat today. So one of your favourite bands uh, is the next song, Mr Soul by Buffalo Springfield.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and again this is uh i, I couldn't not have a, a little bit of neil young in there but initially you know i was a big steve stills fan and uh, well all of them you know like the three voices the three writers the three guitars three albums you know it's the magic number for this band yeah um but this is another example of uh they're not just singing love songs to please the public they're this is a song about the souring of fame almost you know uh and again it's that turning point I'm starting to write a, something else yeah. more personal yeah it's not, not so
0: sweet and nice yeah and then the whole kind of dynamics of the group were were fascinating weren't they actually i uh, had the pleasure of watching is it echo the canyon not too long ago uh, uh, um and you know it's, it's, it's i really enjoyed that it's much more than i thought it was going to and there's some really nice interviews with steven stills and one or two of the guys from that time and um it's fascinating when you hear the backstory again you know
1: apparently the Buffalo Springfield supported the Birds on on a tour, and the whole time David Crosby just kept threatening to leave and join Buffalo Springfield. Um, I've never been able to make my mind up if he's a nice guy or not, but obviously they, he ended up working with them and Crosby Stills a Nash. But um, I don't I think there's as a band they're really underrated. You yeah. Know, on the way home, which I I was a great song, but I had to pick On the way home. That's that's mine.
0: Yeah. I don't want to sour your love of it, Jonathan. But as I mentioned to you earlier, I, I, I'm a bit of a, a Rush fan, and uh, they, co- they they covered it. Yeah, um, they they done a covers album in uh, I can't remember early two thousands maybe called Feedback, and that was um, one of the songs on it. And it's an homage. It's not. They don't Rushize it. If that makes sense, it's just um, it's stuff they grew up with, really. Um It's fantastic. And again, I I I heard of Buff- uh, Buffalo Springfield, but again, not for a long time, and that. Maybe go back again and pick up again, which is great because um, I really love them now. So,
2: no, I uh, and again, I probably wouldn't have said "Mr. Soul" is is my favourite song on that, but I think it's indicative of a turning point of, of certain things. You know, I yeah. love "Bluebird" and and Old Woman" and all, you
0: know. Yeah, absolutely. All that stuff on that no, album. great. And again, that kind of you know, short is is best. I think for them, you know, I think that anything with Neil Young and it's always going to be fairly fractious as well. I'm guessing so. They probably got the, the best out of them and let him wander on and do his stuff for sure well he
2: was supposed to play the the Monterey pop festival never turned up
0: up. (laughs) he's got (laughs) forum for for that hasn't he he's still doing that Yep, yeah, you're still doing it. Um, and just, and you're, quick, just, just very quickly, um, you
2: know, I've got a few Buffalo Springfield T-shirts, and I ordered one one time, and uh, just I don't know, just off a random website. And when it came, it had this little handwritten note thanking me for the order, and that as these sometimes you, you get with these things. And I suddenly sort of clocked who was writing it, and it was uh, Richie Fury. Oh. It was actually he was doing his own merch and yeah. had written me this little letter saying thanks for. Wow. It. <laughs> So yeah, it's cracking. So it's yeah. probably well past the point of wearing it, but uh, I'm still holding on to it. Of course, yeah. you are.
0: And quite a read too. Quite a too. And your last one was "Somebody to Love" by Jes- Jes- Jefferson Jefferson Airplane. Sorry.
2: Yeah, not necessarily a very personal choice for me, but it, it's just such a big song. It's just like when you hear it, you know, what a cracking, cracking song. Yeah. And uh, it's got it's it's West Coast, you know, as well the San Francisco scene. Um, you know Grace Slick was a force to be reckoned with she was. Uh, it's a great album actually I love that album Um
0: don't think I've heard another, the album to be to another, be honest no
2: another debut yeah and uh, yeah it's it still stands the test of time
0: yeah great sound to be fair you know mm. proper sound does not it and fairly timeless as well yeah don't think yeah. It, sounds, it has got that west coast feel to it but sounds as if, for me it could be made you know more recent than that and you'd have got away with it, you know it's not, I don't think it's dated as such.
2: And it's got that lovely thing where the verse is just before the chorus, it just stops dead and yeah. then goes, yeah. now the chorus. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <good. laughs> Boom. Don't yeah. you want some? Yeah. Ah, fantastic. That's, that's a
0: great song. Absolutely. Really good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they're, they're great. I mean, we, we obviously can't play them all. They'll be on the playlist that we stick on Spotify. So if we can take one of those and then um, play that as the, the out song from the podcast, but which one would well, you prefer?
2: Well, I think that, I don't know if you you missed one, Brian. You I did I?
0: Well, that's that's not a surprise if you've heard any other <laughs> podcast, Jonathan. And
2: it's a shame that
0: you. It's... No, uh, we'll get a song to, to talk about. Oh, you yeah, one sorry, more song. Sorry, sorry, sorry. we've we'll got one more song to talk about.
2: Are you still going to play? Of um, course well, we I, are. I, I, oh yeah.
0: I'm, I'm, I spoil the surprise. I'm, I don't I'm, know bad, I'm bad. I'm just not that bad. um <laughs> but from the songs uh, from your 9 to 15 list there all right what would you um we can do that as a, an exit song for I you, see
2: you i see what you mean um well let's see um let's go with first cut is the deepest
0: perfect fantastic song fantastic song so and so to your last selection um which is just wonderful and i'll just leave you to explain your last selection and why you've chosen it
2: well it's the bare necessities <laughs> by phil harris myself and my
0: dear so excited by this (laughs) it's going going to be great
2: from the jungle book and uh yeah who who can't not love that song
0: no i don't know it's there's nothing to say why why have you picked it is an amazing song and it obviously came out in 67 so uh uh, you know any particular reference other than you know it's in the year and it's it's iconic which i guess is oh
2: well sung by baloo and you know the supposed <laughs> death of the blue. Hope i'm not spoiling this for anyone but you know brought the tears by that as a child you uh, know i'm still recovering from that um but uh, uh, <laughs> in, in an odd way you know when i think about it it's almost like the the unpretentious version of within you without you you know it's right? saying okay here's what we've really got to look at with our lives here's here's the real the bare necessities yeah you know so yeah, if you know George can be a little bit highfalutin with, with his, <laughs> here, here's a nice yeah, down to earth sing along version Absolutely.
0: of the same thing. It's an amazing song. We are both smiling. Weren't we, when we got the I list? Actually, thing.
2: always thought it was
0: Louis Armstrong singing it. I, I th- I'm sure he could, I'm sure he did a version yeah, he did of do it. A version. Yeah, yeah, not not for the film. I don't think, but right. I, I know he certainly no. covered it because um, it it literally sounds be. like Louis Armstrong. <laughs>
1: He sounds oh, more like the,
0: the next one, doesn't he? I want to be like you. That that could be more Louis Armstrong, I think. Oh, sorry. Kind of scatting scat- and stuff. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. Of course, sorry. But it's an amazing song and I don't have a lot to add to to be honest, Jonathan, because what, what, what can you say? The only thing I, I did put a smile on my face was that, because uh, it touches on the 60s stuff, was that um, Brian Wilson has done a cover of it.
2: Oh, has he? He has, <laughs> which yeah.
0: may, may not surprise you that much with Brian Wilson, but he did um, a compilation album called In the Key of Disney. <sighs> wow. uh, not, not that long ago, you know, 10 years maybe, 15 years ago. And uh, and this is on there, which I didn't really remember, but there's a fantastic version of uh, When You Wish Upon a Star.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. genuinely
0: proper Brian Wilson kind of, you know, pit sound, Beach Boysy type sound. It's beautiful. But yeah, it you know covers, covers this as well, yeah.
2: You know when he was doing the... Uh, recreating the Pet Sounds tour kind of thing, and and uh, with the Wonderments and all that, um, I went to see that, and it was the only time I think I've been to see Brian Wilson actually, and really, really, you know, I was really worked up for seeing this, and I just thought, oh no, he just, he just, he just looked a bit frail. He was really relying on the other guys in the band, uh, he just looked a bit sort of sorry. But then they played "Slip John B," right? Right. and I, you know, it's again, my least favorite song, probably on Pet Sounds. But yeah. hearing that live was just, oh my God! There's Brian Wilson singing Slip "John B," and this is the <laughs> best thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it's it's really odd that thing, you know, yeah. live and recorded, and what songs mean to you, and what you hate, what you love, and how that can just be turned around like that.
0: Yeah, I I agonised for years about whether well to go and see Paul McCartney or not. I adore the Beatles, but I don't particularly like Paul McCartney. And, <gasps> um, no, I love his singing, I just don't particularly like him. Um, but I went along, he played Hamden, and I went along, and I genuinely had so low expectations from it, and I think like maybe the second or third song was, a you know, All My Loving or something like that. And, oh, man, I was gone, you know. Could I stay there, literally could have stay there all night listening to him? It was just, um, it was amazing. I even even Mulligan Tyre. Well, of course, entire, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I saw him in Liverpool, and I must have been about in the big stadium, obviously. And it was about uh, I don't know, it must have been just about forty people from the front. You know, it was yeah. great, I really see up close. Oh. And the whole the whole thing was a bit spoiled. And Yoko Ono was in the audience, and uh, George Harrison's wife was there. You know, a real proper Liverpool homecoming. Yeah. And uh, right the minute before he walked on a huge fight broke out between a bunch of Scallies beside me, right? Proper, proper, you know, punches and blood and faint, you know, knocked out cold and proper fight going on. I thought, Oh, Oh, here's the mood of this gig gone. Yeah, but the, the, the Glasgow one was great. I, I thought the Glasgow one that you're maybe talking about. I remember that. Yeah, one
0: was, yeah, it was genuinely fantastic. Oh. Uh, one of my favourite ever gigs. Um, and we yeah. took the kids along as well, so they they sort of ticked the box when they were young about seeing yeah. a beetle and all that stuff, which I it was quite important. I think yeah. for them to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, most most important question to finish then: favourite Disney film? Um,
2: did Disney do that one? What's the one with the cat? Uh, the Thomasina the three, li- the three Lives of Thomasina did they do that one? Don't know So with uh, uh, your prisoner guy, what do you call him?
0: Patrick McGugan
2: Patrick McGugan's in it, yeah right. uh, as a vet, a country vet
0: and, You should uh, be telling us this Jonathan with your knowledge, you shouldn't be asking us
2: I know, but yeah. it seems like it should be a Disney film, but is it? Yeah.
0: I mean, do, um, what would you be having if Jonathan's pondering? Pete's Dragon
2: the first one. yeah Okay, well.
0: I'm taking that. I like the song of the house
1: when I was a wee boy as
0: well. Yeah, yeah. Bed knobs and broomsticks for me, o- o- only because of the football match. Well, not only because, but <laughs> primarily because of the football match. Yeah, <laughs> I ended up writing a, a book about about a fiction story about that. <laughs> I did, yeah. So, so another day. Uh, really? It's my favorite. It was sorry it was
2: Chitty Chitty Bang Bang a Disney film yeah
1: yes. of course Yeah, you can't say
2: it's
0: uh, your favourite because it's too scary scary is well,
2: dark well yeah I loved it as a child and then I remember when I had my own daughter uh, I thought I'll get her to watch this when she was about two or three and, and not the scary thing wasn't the issue the thing that really struck me was it's an hour before the car shows up <laughs> <laughs> it's so long it's about like three hours uh, long. <laughs> lollipops yeah lollipops. <laughs> I didn't know
1: until years later it was Ian Fleming that wrote it yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, and I've been to the castle as well in, in real yeah. life, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's spectacular. So, uh, yeah, it's, that might be a close second. If yeah, Thomas...
0: I'll, I'll give you that as well for sure. And uh, just to square it all off, the bare necessities was not it was nominated for best song at the sixty eight Oscars. Oh, there
2: you go. But it been didn't win.
0: So, guess what won best song?
2: Uh, wasn't uh, wouldn't have been anything from the graduate with it, or it was
0: talk to the animals. <laughs> from oh, doctor, do little. That's
2: a good one. Can I yeah, there
0: you go so it's a nice nice way to finish and it beat, um, it beat the look of love by <laughs> Al David and Bob Bacharach which I quite like and of
2: course uh, by Rex Harrison the king of speaking a song <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely yeah I need, yeah. need a ha- Rex Harrison podcast? We'll, we'll put that on the list so listen let's, yeah. let's finish with that it uh, genuinely is a great way to finish and it's kind of you hear us all laughing here so it's just um, just brings back fantastic memories so from the Jungle Book this is the Burns so that was the Bernese Necessities from the Jungle Book. So Jonathan, that's has played all your songs from uh, selected songs from '67. And uh, now you've heard them in some of the stories. Still happy with '67 as your chosen year? Oh no, I still want
2: to go with '70. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll do. They're not bad, you know. They're not bad.
0: They're not bad. You have to fight Bobby Hodgins for '70 because uh, Bobby oh, well. Bobby took '70. So and it was great. To be fair, it was a, it was a really good year. So. Um, but no, they were great, really enjoyed them. So before we finish, Jonathan, where can we find you on Twitter or, or Facebook?
2: Um, uh, Well, uh, Sister John and The Gracious Losers are on Twitter and on Facebook. So Perfect. you can find us there and on Instagram as well.
0: Perfect, thank you. So we really appreciate you joining us today, mate. It's been brilliant. And the songs you selected and those in the playlist re- reflect what a strong year for music 67 was. So thanks again, Jonathan. Really appreciate that, mate.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. As long as I win. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's not. It's not the winning. It's the taking part, isn't it? That's no, not. No, it's not. It's the winning. <laughs> well, we'll have to we'll have to rank them all then. We've we've now done twelve, so we're going to have to work out what to do with them all. So, um, we'll, we'll get we'll get round to that. So thanks again, mate. I'll
2: get you the award,
0: on. Hold well on. <laughs> <laughs> that's a work well on radio. Yes. Yeah.
2: Like All right. Oh, look at that. Yeah, that's a good haircut is the, on that. Is the John
1: the John Squire winning award. The John Squire award for best playlist.
0: Me de- <laughs> <Thank my> d <decels, laughs> gnomes. So yes. I'll I'll tell you about that off uh, off air, Jonathan. Okay, mate. So, I'd
2: like to thank Nina Simone. I'd like to thank. <laughs> <you>. <laughs> I'd like to thank Neil Young.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it would be all. So today's podcast and the supporting playlist can be found on Spotify by searching Over Our Garden Mall, join the chat on Facebook using the same search or find us on Twitter at Over Our Wall. With me, Dee, we'll hopefully be back soon with another guest proposing pop music's greatest year. But until we do, we will leave you with a bonus selection from Jonathan's playlist from 67. Thanks again for listening and until next time, stay safe, everyone. Cheers, Jonathan.
2: Adios.